Open, outspoken, it's ophthalmology off the grid, an honest look at controversial topics in the field. I'm Gary Wirtz. Welcome to another episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid. Today, our host, Dr. Gary Wirtz, sits down with Dr. Uday Devgan, a cataract surgeon and private practice at Devgan Eye Surgery in Los Angeles, as well as a clinical professor of ophthalmology at the Jules Stein Eye Institute and Chief of Ophthalmology at Olive View UCLA Medical Center. Listen as Dr. Devkin talks about dividing his time between his surgery center and the public hospital and the sacrifices and rewards that go along with balancing these two very different positions. Dr. Devkin also discusses his passion project, cataractcoach.com, the importance of teaching residents to cope with stress and the benefits of recording and sharing surgical cases. Coming up on Off the Grid. Welcome to another episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid. This is Dr. Gary Wirtz, and I am so pleased to have uh, Uday Devkin join us tonight. Uday is in private practice at his own facility at Devgan Eye Surgery in LA um, near Beverly Hills. He's also a clinical professor of ophthalmology at Jules Stein Eye Institute at UCLA School of Medicine, as well as chief of ophthalmology at Olive View, uh, also at UCLA Medical Center. Ah, uh, that's a mouthful, Uday, but thank you so much for taking time of, out of your busy schedule, doing all the things you do to uh, carve out some time with me tonight. Yeah, I think the neat part with all my crazy titles there is that I'm lucky enough to spend half my week with my private practice and half the week with my residents. And they couldn't be more different. My private practice is on a, you know, the fancy part of town, surgery centers in Beverly Hills, but the patient population is kind of demanding and maybe not quite as appreciative or sweet as our county hospital. So with my residents, which are the UCLA residents, we're at a big Los Angeles County public hospital. And these are the sweetest patients ever. But they also have the most severe disease. Ruptured globes are routine for us. Ahmed valves for neovascular coma. Residents literally each do thousands of diabetic lasers and individual injections. So it's a tough population in terms of disease, but what a sweet population. And I love to be able to work with my residents to teach them, as you know, to, to be involved in the early part of someone's career is just magical. So that's really interesting. And I'm, I don't know anyone else who, and I'm, I may be wrong, so there may be other guys out there or gals out there like you that have done this, but I don't know too many KOLs who are literally half and half. Half of the world is the normal private practice running a surgery center, you know, de dealing with all the private practice stuff. And the other time, you really have two full-time jobs, you know, and, it, and they couldn't be more different. How did you decide to do that? Because most people will pick one or the other. And it's sort of like you just, you said, I'm going to have my cake and eat it too. How, tell me a little bit about the genesis of that. Well, like we all know, when you get into practice, your practice evolves over time. So it didn't start off doing so much time with the Reds and start off doing, you know, half day a week and then it grew to a day a week then it was a couple half days here and there it just kept adding more and more and I just really really enjoyed it and I found that it's something it was it really helped balance out my week and so I became very lucky that I could have an involvement in both now it does require some sacrifices in my private practice 
my practice is now only surgical. The only new patients I'm seeing are new patient consults who are going to have either cataract or refractive surgery. And then right. post-ops, I'll see you for a limited basis, but then when it's, it's kind of catch and release, once you're bilaterally pseudophagic, you got to go. Right, right. And are you are you basically sending those back to the referring doctor at that point? Is that kind of the idea? Yeah, we're spread them out. A lot of them have existing doctors. I'm not a, a big co-managing doctor, so I don't have that kind of a business type network. Mine's mostly just word of mouth, actually. And so I have yeah. to see a patient and their surgeries are done. If they need follow-up for any other issues, I'll just send them off to, let's say, if you're diabetic, I'll send you to a retina doctor we'll see you once a year. If you have glaucoma, right. then you can go see the glaucoma doc and, and do that follow-up. So I'll, I'll send you out. I probably send out more patients than I get you know, referrals. Interesting. That's really interesting. So you have a project that I want to talk about, and uh, it's called Cataract Coach, cataractcoach.com, correct? That's right. And this is something that I, I, I don't know if I was, I think I was a little bit late to the party on. Maybe you had posted a hundred videos or something. And I watched one of your videos and I just thought to myself, this really is like a total paradigm shift in terms of how education can happen nowadays. And I was blown away, not only by um, the fact that it was only a few minutes long, but the amount of content, the, the little pearl that was hidden not hidden, but really you know, on full display in that that little clip. How did you decide to do this? And and just give me a little bit of the background of the genesis of this idea because I think it's just really interesting and it's the it's definitely the new wave. I think it really really it's a passion for me. It's a heck of a project. It takes a ton of my time, but I just love it. I first have to give credit where it's due, and that's got to go to Bobby Osher. Decades ago, he started the Video Journal of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. I remember when I finished my residency, and it's a long time ago, it was the year 2000. 20 years ago, I was hunting around for VHS tapes, something that my kids don't understand what that means. Right. <laughs> and VHS tapes of his video journal so I could play it and watch it and learn from it. And God, I just soaked it up. So I know that for ophthalmology, Osher's right. You learn by watching. Videos are very powerful. It's the best way to learn a surgical technique, especially in the eye. And we're naturally suited to that because our procedures are brief. And they're through a microscope, so it's very easy to record them, especially now with this HD video. Right. So I definitely like learning that way. And you see it all our meetings. Everyone po posts videos. Then I learned something else, too, though. I said I wanted to post a pearl of a video, and I had an original YouTube channel more than a decade ago, which garnered almost a million views. And Wow. Yeah, but it was the older stuff, non-HD, and I kind of posted on it sporadically. And back that's when back when you know posting videos was novel. But now I, said, well, I need to make a commitment, though. If we're going to do this, I need to be able to teach my residents and have a concrete topic and the key is I need content on a daily basis. If I go to any other news website, LA Times, New York Times, The Atlantic, any, any online place that has good media, if there's not new content, I'm going to be bored. I don't want to read the same articles every time. And so I decided I have to publish it on a routine basis. First, I thought once a week would be good. But then I said, you know what? Let me just suck it up, man up here. Let's just do one every single day. Saturday, Sunday included, holidays too. I was evacuated from my house for five days because these wildfires here in Los Angeles. I did not miss a day. That's just kind of crazy to me because, you know, podcasting for me is is also a passion. I love talking to people because I, 
for me, this is really how I learn. I, I think I'm a I'm sort of a, a a verbal or auditory learner. I love talking about things. I'm also a visual learner, but I really love talking to people. Um, but doing a couple shows uh, a month is it can be hard to keep it fresh. It can be hard to find um, some and some new angle on on a topic. Doing something every day. How are you able to to look at cataract surgery and keep it fresh in terms of all right, this would be an interesting topic because I think as you get into cataract surgery, sometimes you forget what it was like not to know and 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 then you don't realize what would be novel to someone who's maybe at a different phase of their training. So is this something that the residents, as you're teaching them, you say, okay, this is something that they need to know? Is the, do they help with that? Absolutely. So the cases are a mix. So some are very basic. There's some that are um, resident cases, a lot of complications there, as you know, early in the learning curve. A lot right. of them are my own patients and, and my own complications. One of the very first videos I ever showed on this site, on cataractcoach.com, was me dropping an entire nucleus onto the macula. Oh. A case of prior trauma. I hadn't done that in thousands of cases. A case of right. but a case of prior trauma that I didn't know about. As soon as beautiful rexus, I go there to chop it, and boom, the whole thing's on the macula. Took a breath or two, cleaned it up, sent it to my vitretinal colleague, and the patient came back, of course, thrilled to say, you know, I see great, and guess what? I have zero floaters now. Right. <laughs> Glass half full. It's not all works. But yeah, so I think it's important to learn from that. So we have the full spectrum. If you're an advanced surgeon, I've got great advanced crazy cases there for you. If you're a beginning surgeon, I have very basic stuff. The last uh, couple months, every Wednesday, I post a video about the basics of fluidics and power modulations. And I don't want you to use someone else's settings. I want you to use your own judgment and make your own settings. And I go through that step by step, five minutes at a time. So it's a neat resource. Well, and I think let's, I want to talk to you a little bit about FACO settings, because this is something that when I was maybe getting in and just out of training, it seemed like FACO settings were everywhere. You couldn't go to a lecture without hearing about FACO settings. Uh, everyone was talking about their FACO settings, chop settings, divide and conquer, stop and chop, all these things. And it seems like over the past few years, um, we just don't hear as much about about FACO settings. Have you noticed that also? Yeah, I think it was also part of the timing. You know, a decade ago or a dozen years ago, the machines were just coming out with the idea of burst mode and a pulse mode and different kind of power modulations. And so it was new. And so the companies were certainly happy to sponsor more of these things to get that message out. But over the last decade, you're right, that has kind of fallen by the wayside. And there are unfortunately too many ophthalmologists now who aren't as comfortable choosing their own settings or changing them on the fly. Right. It's sort of it's sort of like set it and forget it and just drive the car in automatic. Right. But even more important, that's the, actually it's the same analogy I use. When you drive the car, please, the first thing you ought to do is adjust the seat, the mirrors, the steering wheel, maybe the radio and the air conditioning too. Then let's start driving. So that's the, right. To me, that's the Vago settings. And then, yes, you change the settings as the driving, as the terrain uh, you know, requires, or in surgery as the clinical situation requires. So I want to I want to hit some of the modules that you feel like are most useful, some that are either the, most, the top viewed or ones you feel like are most beneficial. So let's say you've got someone that hears this podcast. I say, you know what? Check out cataractcoach.com. Um, there is just I think you said there's what over 400 videos yeah. on this site, 
and which is actually just unbelievable. It's it's kind of insane. But where would you say is a good place to start? So I'm in process now of kind of organizing the whole thing into book chapters. Because right now you have to kind of search for the videos that you want, kind of like blogs. They may not be necessarily in you know an order to them. They may come out and 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 different uh, orders than you anticipate. But I think the key thing is to learn that I have a few basic categories. One is for beginners, basic stuff. And that's very clearly delineated. That's choosing your settings, how to learn various techniques of chop or or divide and conquer, stop and chop. Then I've got ones of interesting or unusual cases. We have probably a 10 posterior polar videos of all different types, including guest surgeons. We do feature guest surgeons, and I'm going to have to pester you later for a nice video. I will do that, yes. No problem. And then other challenging ones, white cataracts. As we talk in the background of my computer, I have a video editing software rendering a video of a run-out white capsularexis in a resident case. Runs out all the way to the zone. Well, how to recover? So I've said, we'll go over that. So I have on this site, gosh, at least... 20 white cataract videos of all types, femto, double rexes, run out rex, everything is there. And then I think the last thing that uh, that we have that's very important is complications. I'm not afraid to show you any complication. And we have a lot of anonymous submissions, which are really good. Anonymous surgeons now, we try to feature one video a week of a complication. The one we had yesterday was a, a new surgeon who's IOL, believe it or not, got stuck in the incision. He couldn't get it out. Yeah. I'm looking at this on the site right now. (laughs) I've actually had this happen. Right. But so if you are, imagine this, you're a younger doc in training or just a couple years out and you just one day on your, you know, with your morning coffee before work, you look at this video and you see this. Now, six months from now, when it happens during the OR, you know how to deal with it. You've seen that video. Basic stuff is one one aspect. The other one is unusual cases, poster polar, white cataracts, bad zonio, pseudo X, small pupil. And then the last one is complications, whether it's capsule rupture, we have plenty of those, run out rexis, iris damage, and we got the works. So I want to talk to you a little bit about, I mean, because because of your unique position as an educator and someone who has been in private practice, you know, doing it the right way for a long time. I, I sort of have this this idea in mind, and I, I want to know what you feel about this, if you would agree or disagree, but do you feel like there's certain milestones in, in, in learning cataract surgery, and whether that's a certain number of cases or a certain number of complications or a certain number of, you know, breadth of both easy and hard cases, I feel like there's certain milestones in cataract surgery. Have you found that in your training of residents, seeing them sort of progress from their first five through their first 30 to their first hundred. And then, you know, beyond that, when you see people operating, it sort of seems like there are certain milestones. And I think it's probably good to explain that to residents. so They don't ex- expect their very first cataract to be this, this absolute masterpiece. I think you're hundred percent right. And we've actually had a post about this. I also have some articles on there that are a little more philosophical. One about finding your state of flow where the surgery just, the pleasure of the surgery just unfolding naturally and happening so fluidically. The other one I post about is, yeah, what is the learning curve? And now you and I are probably around the same level. 20,000 cases later, you can look back and say, yep, there's quite a difference. My residents are lucky. They finished residency with about 300 cases. Now, the danger is thinking that 300 cases gets you most, most of the way up the learning curve. When in reality, it's 
probably no more than halfway up the curve. So I break it up into 200 cases versus 2,000 versus 20,000. So I'd say 200 cases at best, 50% up the learning curve. 2,000 cases is probably more like 80, 90% up the learning curve. And then mm-hmm. diminishing returns, and I think 20,000 cases, maybe now you're 99% of the learning curve. And I think we'll never quite reach that perfect plateau of 100%. Well, and that's that's what I tell patients too. And they say, is this all like the same all day long or, or other, other people who've never seen cataract surgery if they're in watching? And I say, you know, in some ways, yes. And in some ways, no. Um, I had a new rep come in last week or a week or two ago and he had never seen cataract surgery, knew, knew the field. And, and that's what his question was. It seems like this is kind of a lot of the repetition. I said, well, it's kind of like golf. You know, you can play the same course uh, every week and you'll never play the same hole the exact same way. So you sort of have to have all the different clubs in your bag. You have to know how to use them and in what situation to use them and, and maybe how to use them in an alternative way, depending on where the ball is lying. And so I feel like that with, you know, maybe after two or 300 cases, you know, you know how to use your driver, you know how to use, you know, your seven iron, you you can chip and you can putt. There's a lot of clubs in between there that I think at 2000 and 20,000, you really start knowing how to use all your clubs. And then, you know, 20,000, you're actually able to use them in unique ways and you're able to be more efficient around the course. So that, that's sort of my analogy for, for cataract. I love, I love the, though I don't play golf. And I don't either. <laughs> but I love the analogy. You know, I, I posted this video on Twitter and I'll, my, my Twitter handle is uh, cataractmd if anyone is, is super bored and wants to follow. Um, but there was this video of us, it said expectations versus reality. And there was this guy going off the ski jump. He does like two flips, like three twists, lands on the moguls. And it was just like a stud. And then the next video is a guy who goes off this sort of simple little jump and his skis fall off and he spins in the air and just like yard sales everywhere. And I said, this, this is how I expected my first case to go versus how it really happened. And you know, I was actually really lucky. My first two cases I did as a resident in, I think it was around August 6th of my first year of, of PGY2. So very, very early on. My third case, I dropped the nucleus. And I still contend that it might have been the attending who, who did it. He said it was me. You know, he was in the eye when it happened. It's still a controversy, but I'm going to take credit because I, he's a really good surgeon. I was definitely a novice. But how do you coach? You know, part of coaching is not just telling people what to do and what not to do and giving tips, but how do you get your residents through those times when it's, more, it's not about necessarily their, their technique because that will come? But it's really more about their mental state and how they're able to handle themselves in the in the face of stress, um, a potential complication, or actually a, an adverse outcome or, or a bad complication. I think you're right. It's, I think the key there is that equanimity under duress. When you're stressed out and things aren't going your way, to take a breath, to stay cool, and think calmly. And the other thing you have to learn too is, as as natural human instinct, we have to the, we have to fight is. We need to not have um, denial. When we're doing a case and we see some complication there happening, we have to say, yes, that's a complication. I'm going to have to deal with it. Well, that, that actually, when I was a chief resident at Kentucky, I said, positive thinking has no bearing on the actual presence of vitreous. <laughs> I like that. 
right? Think, thinking positively it, it, or in cataract surgery is fine, but it's not going to actually determine whether or not you've broken the bag. Yeah, the other thing too is everyone should be aware that you do have the ability to get better and better in every case, and it's up to you as your resident and then in practice to make a concerted effort to learn from every case that you're doing. You're like me. I still record 20,000 cases later. I still record every surgery I do. I may not save the video, but I try to record them so that I can go back and say, you know, that was an interesting case. Let me see. Let me learn from that. How did I do that? Should I? I want to watch the game day footage. Well, and the other thing is, I think for some people who are maybe out by themselves or they don't have an expert surgeon mentor that they can count on, recording cases is a great way, uh, not only like you said, to review it yourself, but you know, sending someone, a, a, a fellow surgeon, a video to say, hey, will you critique this? Will you let me know what I'm doing right, what I'm doing wrong, and where I can improve? That is, you know, that has actually happened to me in my life when a, a fellow surgeon has sent me a video. Uh, it was actually someone at the, at the other end of the spectrum. So this was an older surgeon who sent a video and just said, I want peer review to make sure that you that, that my skills are where they should be. I trust you, and will you tell me if you think I should stop operating? And um, I thought he was just doing great, and said, "Absolutely, please keep operating. You're a fantastic surgeon." But I thought that that was a really unique um, situation where someone asked for help, uh, you know, and and you know, I was happy to give it. I think at, at both ends of the spectrum or anywhere in between. We should utilize each other a little bit better than we do um, at, at peer review and, and sort of critique and, and giving advice on how, how people can, can improve or um, areas where they're excelling. I think you're totally right. I actually gave a, a resident lecture at the ASCRS meeting a few weekends ago in San Diego, and I was fortunate to talk to a group of uh, Iowa residents. And I said, oh, let me take a picture with you. And I said, please do me a favor. Tell Tom Oding, I want him, I'll pay him to come to L.A. to watch me operate, to coach me in the OR. I want him to, but only if he's going to be critical to me. I want to learn from him. I don't want him to pull any punches. And I want to be a better surgeon. And yes, even 20 years out, I can certainly still find room for improvement. But I need the coaching of someone like a Tom Oding. And if he turns, if he turns me down, I'm calling you next, Gary. All right. And I do get out to LA sometimes, and I would be happy. I would be, I would be brutal though. I mean, I'd be really brutal. So I'll pay your flight. Don't worry. <laughs> so I, I think we've covered a lot of really interesting topics. I want to thank you so much for your commitment to ophthalmology. Um, just to be honest, I mean, when I was a resident, I always loved reading your columns. I always enjoyed, you know, learning from you, and I've. I've always counted it as a real privilege to count you as a friend um, as well as a colleague and still as a mentor. So the fact that I get to interact with you like this, I mean, this is, you know, coming from some, someone who, you know, used to just be reading the articles and um, never dreaming I'd have the opportunities that I've had. So Uday, thank you so much for uh, giving me this opportunity. Listen, when you're in LA, I'd love to host you in the OR and I want you to watch me operate in, and be brutally honest. Tell me, I my goal is to be better. You know the 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 uh, the offer. I'm going to make the same offer, and you know you're. I think you're going to be coming to Millennial Eye Live as a faculty. I member. am. 
And, you know, that's in my backyard in Louisville. So I practice in Lexington, Kentucky, which is about an hour outside of Louisville. So if you want to fly in a day early and hang out, um, you know, that could be really fun. So I'm going to throw that out there. Um, and so if you're interested in that, uh, let me know. We could, we could have some fun. All right, Gary. Always a pleasure. Awesome. Thank you so much, Uday. Thanks to Dr. Devkin for sharing his cases with the ophthalmic community and for imparting some words of wisdom on us today. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in to another episode of Off the Grid. Until next time.